Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Karen Feinerman, C. Grasso, Jeff Mills, and our newest Fast Money contributor, Nadine Turman, CEO of Solstein Capital. Welcome, Nadine. Tonight on Fast, what a difference a year makes. The S&P more than 15% above its pre-pandemic record hit one year ago today, but not all stocks have come along for the ride. We'll take a look at some names that might be ready to play catch-up. Plus, a Palantir pop, the big investor who just gave the stock a big vote of confidence and where it could go from here. And don't forget, we've got a special bonus hour fast coming up at 6 p.m., a deep dive into the new American investor from a new record in Bitcoin to a spectacular rapper. Yes, I said rapper. You've got you covered. But first, as extreme cold grips the south and Texas tries to cope with massive power failures, infrastructure plays are heating up. Check out names like Freeport McMoran and United Rentals soaring today. Has all this wild weather made that infrastructure investment story even more compelling. Karen, what do you say? Well, it certainly sort of brings to light how we need uh, infrastructure upgrades. And then I think there's also some policy as we battle it out with China. You know, how can we rely on this worldwide trade that the globalization that's happened over the last 10 or 20 years? Do we need to start bringing stuff home? That, of course, would be very inflationary if everybody need to manufacture their own stuff. But as it relates to infrastructure, I mean, I've been hoping for this for a long time. When a position like United Rental, this is just absolutely the holy grail for them. Think about their business model. They have, you know, fixed costs, very low variable costs. So if you get utilization way up, pricing way up, that's fantastic for them. All that having been said, though, this is as expensive as, as, as I've ever seen URI. So there is optimism already in there. We need an infrastructure bill for it to not trade down. But I think if we got one, it would continue to trade higher. Yeah. Nadine, where are the opportunities? I know you and Karen were all hopped up on the, on the midday call talking about infrastructure, because if there was ever a time where, where the American uh, you know, consumer, the American voter out there was convinced that infrastructure needed attention, needed investment, now is the time seeing what is going on in Texas. Melissa, I think you and Karen are right here. Is what you have in Texas is a supply shock. And you have the governor saying, listen, we need to winterize our state. You look at my own state, well, we need to protect against fire, against floods. And so that underspend in infrastructure is a really big deal. So you see Biden coming out saying we need a big plan. And today you see the House Transportation and Infrastructure Chair saying we need a $1.5 trillion spend. And people are saying that's not enough. So those two things, along with what Karen said, which is China threatening to limit exports for precious metals and technology, all of those things are very inflationary, but it means that the probability of infrastructure spend just went up. Yeah. So where are the values? I mean, Jeff, Karen had alluded to your URI, which she thinks is overvalued. I mean, there are a lot of stocks out there that may already be taking into consideration the possibility of an infrastructure bill. Wait, wait, wait. Can yeah, I just I add one thing? Overvalued if there is yeah, no sure. infrastructure. Sorry. Overvalued if there is no infrastructure. If there is infrastructure, then it's, it's A-OK. All right. Jeff, what do you say? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I agree with Karen, and that's really exactly where I was going to go. And just to echo the sentiments of everyone else, you know, I think that there was this concern building that if we were to get a really big stimulus bill right now, then it would be more difficult to pass infrastructure, uh, climate spending, things of that nature a little bit later in the year. I think that has changed now, given what happened in Texas. I think there's political capital to push some of that spending through. But let's not forget, I mean, there are fundamentals that are supporting this story, too. We got manufacturing PMI today for the U.S., for Europe, both very strong. So I think that's part of the story as well. And I look at stocks like Cat and Vulcan. These are names that I've been mentioning over the last couple of months. They're in really nice, steady uptrends, just breaking out now to new highs over the last couple of months. And I would say the same thing maybe for some of the rails. You know, you look at UNP or Norfolk Southern, I think they end up participating in all of this. Uh, And the last thing I'll say is just relative to small caps, it's been such a big story this year. Um, Definitely overbought. There's There's no question about that. But I think the valuation gap still exists. And when you look at the SLY, that's how we would prefer to play small caps, almost 25% in industrials and materials. So I think that also benefits from this trend we're talking about. Steve, this is also wrapped up in the, in the rotation that you've been advocating, which is away from the growth, away from technology and into the cyclical plays uh, on the bet that the economy will reopen and is reopening soon. Yeah, so if you look at the IWM, so Je- Je- I'll pick up where, where Jeff left off. If you look at the IWMs since November 1st, they are up 47% against an, S, uh, against an S&P that's up 21%. Outperformance, that's what you're looking for. So where you started out saying that this is about infrastructure, sure, but I think it's only about 20% about infrastructure. I think the balance, 80%, is about rates. This is about the reflationary trade. I know it's all um, sort of mixed up in the sausage making, but look at the 10-year. 10-year went from 50 basis points to 1.33%. Now, I know that it's a huge move. It's a 163% move based on a percentage of the percentage. That's what it's about. Think about this. Senate, the House, are tied up with a COVID relief reconciliation bill. That's going to take us another couple of months. We're not getting infrastructure until June or July. You can't, I, know, I know the market is a forward-looking price mechanism, but we're talking about a, a, a bunch of months here where anything could happen. We already spend $50 billion a year on highways and bridges. We need, as, as uh, was said earlier, $1.5 billion. That's an incredible uh, trillion. That's an incredible amount to spend. And, and the Democrats do not need the Republicans to vote with it. So it's going to be passed through reconciliation, too. It Mm -hmm. will get done, but it will get done in June or July. Okay, so let's say that the time frame is pushed out or maybe that it doesn't even happen. I mean, Karen, Steve hits on a good point, and that is if reflation is actually happening already, can these stocks and can a URI actually not be so overvalued even without an infrastructure bill, given what is going on just within the economy, the forces within the economy, which is reflating things? Well, yes and no. It's sorry to not give a straight answer, but yes and no that inflation is good. It's good for their business. They also have debt, not a ton of debt, but, you know, some. And as inflation goes higher, that debt is less burden on the balance sheet. Plus, they'll be able to pay down the debt because they're earned. They'll start making so much money that they'll continue to earn more and more because they won't have interest expense. However, if you get inflation that really starts to get a little bit out of control, the multiple on the market entirely will come down. And that will affect every stock. The high flyers that Steve's been talking about, those, those will be hit 
hardest because that multiple, that discount cash flow of future earnings, that number will get smaller. Mm -hmm. And so those stocks, I think, will trade down. But they'll all trade down if we get inflation starting to get out of control. Yeah. So Nadine, Even if it's good for some of their underlying businesses. Right. Nadine, where do you find value right now and under which scenario? I mean, is it under a scenario of just inflation taking off? Is it under a scenario which we get an infrastructure bill passed? I think Steve is right, is that there's a number of factors that are driving this. So you have not just call it a higher probability of an infrastructure bill in the future, but you also have a depreciating dollar. You also have these geopolitical issues going on, promise of green spend around the world, whether you're looking at the Eurozone or China. And then, you know, when you're when you're thinking about underperformance or outperformance, it's not just since November, which is when a lot of these things, copper, call it ag, have taken off. You have to look back multi-years. And as you've seen, a lot of people have come out lately of saying, could this be the next super cycle because these stocks have not traded as well over a longer horizon. So I think that there can be outperformance even in the near term. You don't have to wait for certainty of a bill. All right. Let's move on here and um, get this. Can you believe this? Exactly a year ago today, the S&P 500 hit its pre-pandemic peak. And what a year it has been for the benchmark index, up nearly 80 percent since the March trough and surpassing last year's milestone to set new records. But if you're worried you've missed out on the rally, the chart master, Carter Braxton Worth, has some surprising names that might be ready to play catch up. Carter, what are you looking at? You bet. And this will play right to uh, the conversation you were having about whether it is right to be in beta and cyclical type names, reflation names or not. Uh, Let's look at a table and then four charts. The first table. This is a six-month performance of the market, basically since September 1st. You see the S&P, of course, up uh, a nice chunk, uh, 11%. And yet, super cap marquee growth names, big long-term winners, all down. And down substantially. You're talking about spreads of 1,500 to 2,000 basis points on a six-month basis versus the market. Now let's look at chart of that exact same circumstance. So this is a comparative chart four lines. You see the market, of course, up and to the right, and you see those stocks all uh, quite correlated and flat, meaning they're treated as an asset class. Are they stocks that are suffering because rates prospectively are going higher? The very conversation, and what sort of multiple do you assign to future cash flow in the event of higher rates? Third chart. This is to show over the past year, year and a half, just how correlated they are. They are an asset. They're a uh, a thing unto themselves, and they're all being sort of unloved now. Uh, the question is, is this period of underperformance an opportunity, or is it just the beginning of worse? Uh, we think it's the former. Now, here is a basket. Uh, next chart. This is the three stocks, Amazon, Adobe, and Facebook. But you could put Home Depot in here. You could put Microsoft, in a way, in here, Costco great leaders that have all been uh, flat and boring as other things have come to life. Now, final chart. This is what my eye sees. I've annotated. I've drawn the lines, yes, which was to say we're working into the apex, uh, tighter and tighter of, uh, you can call it a triangle, you can call it a wedge. It doesn't matter what you call it. This typically gets resolved. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, it's going to get resolved down as rates um, uh, go higher. I think it's uh, the opposite. I think these are going to break out. And in fact, What we do know, two things, is that the spread between small and large cap, Russell 2000, 1978 to present versus S&P, has been only exceeded one other time in history, and it was in February and March of 2000. And what we also know, and we'll end with this, is that in a way the market can only go up 
if these big laggards come to life. So just to put that in context, these are the statistics going back to the beginning of GICS data in 1989. When tech is down, on any given trading day, any given week, the S&P is down 80% of the time. And when S&P 500 growth index is down, now we pick up things like Google and Amazon, the S&P 500 is down 93% of the time. It can only go higher over time if these marquee names participate. So it's a good sign for the markets, Carter, according to your analysis. Well, I think that's right, meaning in the sense that the first thing you do in a perfect world is be short IWM and long SPY. But if you think the market is going higher in general, it's only going to happen because these stocks start to participate. Just remember those numbers again. Tech is down on any given trading day. The S&P is down 80% of the time. What happened this week? Financials up, industrials, materials, energy, all up. Was the market up? Of course it was not. Yep. Why? Because the big names were down. All right, Carter, see you, see you next half hour. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone. You bet. Uh, Jeff Mills, which of these catch-up plays do you like? Uh, you know what? I, we're still in this, this relative value on the cyclical side. You know, I think the retail sales numbers that we saw this year are foreshadowing what's to come. You know, the weather warms up, the surface economy starts to open up. And I think you have, you know, a couple of quarters ahead of us of some very strong stimulus-driven gr- growth. So I have a hard time, at least with, with Facebook or, um, excuse me, with Amazon and Adobe, thinking of them as catch-up trades. Because Carter said it. I mean, they're, they're long-term winners if you go back over the last five years, the S&P's up, you know, 120% to use round numbers. Amazon's up 530. Adobe's up 500%. So I just think that some of these names can still get left behind as the economy starts to ramp, as rates go up, as inflation goes up. It's a very similar argument that I made last week in terms of the underperformance of a stock like Google. That is a nice way of disagreeing with the chart master, Jeff. <laughs> Coming up, it's becoming a favorite among the Reddit crowd, and it just got a boost thanks to a veteran and Investor will bring you the trade on Palantir. But first, a bet on one betting stock paying off in a big way today. We'll reveal the name and hear from the analysts behind the call. More Fast Money straight ahead. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DraftKings jumping more than 4% today after Oppenheimer raised its price target on the sports betting company from $65 to $80 a share. DraftKings set to report earnings next Friday. Let's get to Jed Kelly, senior analyst at Oppenheimer, the analyst who made the call. Jed, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You expect them to raise their guidance. Um, What's going to be the primary driver of this? So the primary driver is we, we analyze the state data. So on Thursday, you had four key states, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all dropped the revenue data. And what we saw was DraftKings maintained solid share in online sports betting. However, they've also been able to gain share in iGaming, which we think is being underappreciated by investors. Therefore, you know, we kind of analyzed the January trends it looks pretty good for a solid 1Q. If they're able to maintain their, sh- their share, you see your normal seasonality that you have typically with sports betting. It does look like revenue should be you know, above the high end of their 21 guidance they previously gave of $850 million. Jed, what's the end game for these online gaming uh, stocks? Is it 
just a matter of waiting until it's legal in all different states? Is it uh, doing the payment providers? Shameless plug, I'm in BFT, which is PaySafe. Um, but is it PayPal, PaySafe? Or is it just critical mass for these guys? Is it enough that they were there you know, first or name recognition is, is you know, against the pen gaming or things like that? Well, I think you got to think with DraftKings. One, this is a company that's got phenomenal customer acquisition competencies, them and FanDuel from like the DFS sites back in 2015. So, yes, you are trying to gain critical mass because if you're able to gain critical mass, unlike casinos that were typically regionalized, this is the first time you've had a chance to use your brand, scale your brand, and build the platform nationally. So as you're able to build your brand nationally, you gain more critical mass. Therefore, you're able to reduce your customer, your, your customer acquisition costs and get massive scale and potentially generate you know, leverage eventually on your sales and marketing. Hey, Jed, it's Jeff Mills. Thanks for being on. I just had a question about the total market size. You know, I've seen estimates of 40 to $50 billion annually. And then thinking about what a reasonable market share might be for a company like DraftKings and then triangulating all of that with the valuation, I'd be interested to hear what you think. So right now, the way we kind of look at it, we have about sports betting, online sports betting, about $11 billion by 2025. That assumes about 70% of the population is legal. And then for iGaming, we're about five to six billion, assumes 30% of the population's legal. Um, however, you know, you are seeing that the, you know, if you look at New Jersey, the amount of tax revenue these, these sites are bringing in for the state, you know, we think that you could have more of the population with legalized sports betting. The other thing to consider too is we're just in the early innings of this sports betting cycle and as live betting becomes more important, these platforms are going to be able to give you more products. You're also going to have younger people, you know, in college grow up more on the legalized channel. So the market could be huge. I mean, you've seen estimates, you know, in 10 years, if you have 100% of the population, sports betting could be 30 billion in revenue. Uh, thanks for being on, and I, you've had the call on this one for almost, I don't know, nine months or so, so great call on this. I'm just wondering, your target, how do you get there? What, what do you think is the most likely thing that could go wrong to make things not as rosy as they have been for quite a while? Yeah, I mean, the, the target is it's a combination of the DC app out to 2030, which assumes, you know, DraftKings has 30% share, and then, you know, some sort and then a high revenue multiple comp with other disrupted internet companies, you know, like a Peloton, a Fiverr. Um, what could go wrong? It's regulation. I mean, that's what could. I mean, I think if you look at New York State, right, Governor Cuomo was, you know, tempting to do a single provider model, which I think would be bad for the industry, right? It would disrupt innovation. So it's it's unfavorable regulation. It's really what can get in the way. Jed, great to have you with us. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, let's trade DraftKings. Steve Grosso, you're up. Yeah, I don't I don't know really how to play this. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think I think to Karen's point, the biggest thing for them is that the worst is potentially behind them and only more states are opening up. So I think specifically DraftKings is a buy. I'm in BFT because that's the one that offers payment solutions to DraftKings um, as well as a host of other companies. All right.
coming up. Palantir stages a rebound. What is next for this stock after one of Wall Street's hottest investors makes a play for it? And don't forget, we've got another bonus hour fast coming up at the top of the hour. Stick around for our look at the new American investor. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time. Watch more Fast Money right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Check out shares of Palantir soaring nearly 15% today. The surge coming after Kathy Woods Ark Invest added more than 5 million shares to its stake in the company overnight. The secretive company also becoming a favorite among the Reddit crowd. Um, Jeff, you flagged the move. We had that big, you know, downward draft after the earnings and also the lockup expiration this week. Yeah, I think it was at 25, and I said it was a long-term buy, but you could probably buy it at a lower price. And one of the negative catalysts that I saw was the, the lockup expiration. It ended up being a negative catalyst, but from 38, not from 25. Um, but what you still have is a company that's growing revenues in 2021, about 30%. I still think you're going to have investors looking for that kind of growth, especially outside of your usual suspects. Um, I still think that there's a risk that you have some government budget priorities shift around a little bit. But overall, now, if you look at the chart, it's actually held support around 24 and 25. So I still think it's a long-term buy. And I actually think the price is more stable here than it was maybe a month or so ago. Nadine, do you like Palantir? I do. I think that what you have to say is that the CEO did a good job of saying, listen, if you're looking for a short term play, go somewhere else. But if you want a long term, thoughtful business model, come here. And we like those types of management teams and businesses. So I think, you know, as long as it's really a story about execution, if they can execute on their large backlog, that $2.8 billion backlog, then I think this can be a core holding for a lot of people who probably never looked at the stock before. Yeah, and Kathy Wood of ARK Invest was on the Halftime Report earlier this week and actually talked about Palantir, talked about how she liked companies that invested for the future, that she's invested in a company for the long term, Karen. She's speaking your language, but can you get on board Palantir? Right. <laughs> Well, it's hard to get on the valuation with short term, but uh, I mean, I agree with Nadine. If they can, if they can execute, they're in just such a sweet spot place to be right now. This is a great way to express it. I think, um, you know, the the lockup is providing a little bit of an opportunity. I, if you held a gun to my head, I'd absolutely own it, and maybe even without a gun to my head, even with the valuation as high as it is, just thinking about the long-term growth prospects here are very enticing. All right. It is time now for the final trade on this Friday. Let us go around the horn. Nadine, kick it off. I go for Chenier Energy, ticker LNG. You have a great business, a wonderful management team, and strong cash flow this year. They're going to be paying down debt. So with inflation, it's a buy. Karen. Yes, going back to low valuations, kind of my safe place. FedEx, I think it grows regardless of where the economy is. The general. I'm going to do my best Steve Grasso impression here. I'll give you a SPAC FRX. They're going to merge with Beachbody and Mix Fitness. Beachbody alone already has 3 million paid subscribers. So does Peloton. The growth rate is not the same, but I think there's a lot of room here. I like the digital fitness space. Steve. Value play, OLN. It's trading at $29. Been talking about it since 12. It's going to 50. Don't uh, don't check it. Look at it. Buy it now. OA is up next. Stay tuned. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.